The Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast. Um, I am Luke Turrell and it's uh, a bit of a special one. We haven't had these boys on for a while. Um, I'm joined by the co-founder of the Game of Two Scarves podcast, Mr. Lee Usher. Lee, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's always lovely to see you. And uh, we've got north of the border as well and we've got our favourite Glaswegian, Mr. David Hilberty. David, how are you? All good. Thank you very much. Excellent, mate. Excellent. To our listeners, um, thank you again for subscribing and listening. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Six Pointer Podcast. But seeing as I've got David here, let's go north of the border first and let's talk about Celtic because it's a bit uh, topical at the moment. Um, having on Sunday clinched the, the world's first quadruple treble after the Scottish Cup final, although uh, I understand the uh, is it the Lincoln Red Imps are, are contesting that, David. Um, is that right? Yeah, apparently so. They reckon they, they've done it before, but um, yeah, let's, let's not worry about that too much. Um, I think these these celebrations, obviously, of winning the Cup, the Scottish Cup, are, are a huge departure from what we've seen as of late. And with Celtic, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, not sitting on the top of the table like, like people are used to seeing. I think it's 14 points off, albeit with three games in hand at the moment. Mm. Go um, easy, man, go easy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, just putting the, I'm just putting the facts out there, mate. Um, there, are, there, there have been a, fit, a few sort of fan protests over the last few months as well that we've that's picked up a bit of media attention. So I guess in the broadest possible way, what is going on at Celtic, David? Oof, yeah, it's a, a nice Christmas welcome there to the, the podcast. No, it's uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas indeed. So I, we've gone through, our, I think, our worst run since uh, the 1990s when we won just two wins in, in 12 prior to just a few weeks ago. We reversed that trend with a, a good win against Lille, who are top of Ligue 1 in, in France, incidentally, ahead of PSG. But uh, no, I think I've spoken to you guys before about how in Scotland a, a huge thing is getting to the, the sort of 10th title in a row. I remember speaking to you about that, Luke, when we had the, the podcast soon after Brendan Rodgers left yep. and, and, and walked out and went down to Leicester. And the, the reaction at that point was that the, the fans were perplexed at how somebody could up and leave, somebody who said that they're a Celtic man born and bred into the club and you can leave when there's still that potential of, of getting 10 titles in a row. Now, of course, uh, Neil Lennon came in sealed the eighth and then the ninth last year, albeit uh, when the league get curtailed. So I think I think the weight and the pressure of achieving that ten in a row is uh, is, is bearing really heavily on on the mm. team, and I, I think that's why we're seeing uh, them, them sort of crumble a bit for for want of a better word. I think in in fairness, so Rangers are a top side at the moment. You know they've they've only drawn two league games, they've they've won the rest, so. They're, they're well on course to uh, reach well over 100 points. So I, I think it's as much in fairness to them, although it pains me to say it about how well Rangers have started the season as how poorly Celtic have started. We come back to that 2-12. Two, two of those games were against AC Milan. Another three were in Europe. One was against Rangers. So not necessarily easy games, but as you alluded to at the start, mercifully reversed that trend at the weekend there with a probably the most stressful game of football I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> and obviously winning winning by penalties makes it all the sweeter, doesn't it? It's, it's that moment of euphoria, which um, we're, we're struggling to get without fans in the stadium. But 
Can I, can I ask you something? Because, I mean, however much weight you want to put to this, I was, I was saw something pop up on Twitter, I think it was. It was an excerpt from Chris Sutton, um, who yeah. uh, made himself um, known on TalkSport, talking about how certain uh, Celtic fans perhaps were uh, ungrateful for the job that Neil Lennon done after calling yeah. for his head. What's, what's your take on that? I, th- I think the my, my take on it is that I think in hindsight, what we'll see this season is if, if Rangers keep up the form that they've, they've had, then I don't think it, it's really going to in hindsight matter what Celtic did or didn't do. You know, they're on, they're on track for a points total that would equal or surpass even Brendan Rodgers' invincible season. So uh, I think that's got to be viewed in perspective. I, th- I think we've, we've got a lot of Celtic fans, and here's where I start to show my age a wee bit, who have only known success, you know, nine consecutive league titles, four mm-hmm. could, well, quadruple treble, as, as, as you've said already. Uh, the, the, any kind of challenge is pretty surprising and totally unusual to them. And I think the, there's a lot of Celtic fans who are really struggling with that. I think for, for me, uh, even a few weeks ago, I, I don't, I think that the change probably had to be made uh, because I, I, I don't think. It's not that I put all the, all the blame of this on Neil Lennon, but I don't think that he can turn around the the, the points gap that you alluded to at the, the start of the pod there. But at the same time, on Sunday there, when I saw him securing that treble, his first as a manager, he got one as a, a, a player, of course. But just to see how much that, that meant to him, I was really pleased that he got the chance to, to secure that and to fulfil that in his own uh, legacy. As I've said, I think at the moment, if you're a Celtic fan, enjoy the fact that this is a historic and unprecedented quadruple treble and we'll worry about the league a little bit further down the line. A searching question would be when, then, then who comes in then if, if you were to, to make the change, David? I mean, that's that's the million-dollar exactly. question, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not one I expect you to have the answer to, but are there anyone, is there anyone that, you, that you've heard rumours of or, or murmurings that, 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 that they're talking to? Well, I was I was pleased to see Big Sam uh, return to employment because uh, <laughs> no no offence to him, he's I think he's a, a survival expert, but uh, I, I don't think somebody like him is the right man for the job. People spoke about guys like Martin O'Neill who's out a job and Roy Keane both have personal connections to to the club. Again, I think that one of the criticisms of Neil Lennon is that he's from this old school generation, the, the sort of four four two three five two mentality that you motivate players, and it's, it's much more about that side of things rather than the tactics and formations that you see from guys like Rogers and Guardiola and, and Klopp and so on. So I, I think they'd just be the same sort of mould as, as Lennon, to be fair. So I, I wasn't attracted to that. People spoke about Gordon Strachan, another ex-manager. Again, he might steady the ship somewhat. Don't think he can uh, recover that sort of points gap. So, I think that it's time for the, the Celtic board to be a lot more sort of progressive and forward thinking, and a, a proper root and branch restructure of the, the whole football operation. I think Celtic should be a club like Porto or Salzburg or, or even Ajax to an extent, where you've, you've got that proper model in place of buying players young, selling them on for a profit. It's not just about aiming to be a little bit better than your domestic rival. You should be aiming at making inroads into Europe. And I think if Celtic had done that in the past eight or nine years, we wouldn't have to worry about Rangers in the tenor. That would take care of itself. But I think that what the board have done that's been a mistake is they've focused on being just enough better than Rangers. Yeah. And that's why they've been caught cold. Because Rangers have improved. They've got stability. This is Gerard Sturd's season. Spent a lot of money. 
the whole football operation has been revamped and, and we've been sort of fixated on that 10 in a row and I think that's sort of over-obsession we're now paying the price for. If we were focusing on being a club like Porto or Salzburg, uh, then I don't think we'd have to worry about domestic competition. But by focusing too much on on, uh, on what's happening domestic, I think uh, we're now paying the price for that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think something you probably won't thank me for saying is, is that really? <laughs> I, I think in, in, in a way it's probably good for the integrity of the, of the Scottish Premiership that the Rangers have, you know, started to challenge and, and from a neutral's point of view, in the sense that they, you know, it, it, you, it's good to see two big clubs going at it rather than Celtic walking away with it every 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 mm-hmm. season, you know. But that that's what an uneducated person would say. But I, I completely well, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> completely, mate. I, I completely agree with you on the big sound point. I mean. I, Lee, you, I'd be interested in your view on this as well as the, the Roy Key point that, that Roy that, um, that David just made there. Because I, I I didn't enjoy the, the football that Crystal Palace played under Sam Allardyce. I think it was effective. Uh, I think it was um, it served a purpose, but it wasn't enjoyable to watch. Roy Keane was another manager that you've um, seen. What what was his style? What were your memories of, of him at um, at Sunderland? Well, firstly, I'm a big, big Sam. We'll, we'll comment on first because I'm a big Sam fan, and we played some good football um, under Sam Allardyce, and he was probably the most effective manager we've had in recent years. And the the other strange link there, Luke, is we, we lost big Sam to England after the the sacking of um, of Roy Hodgson. But in in terms of his style of play, Sam Allardyce for Sunderland. I'm not sure whether it was just we were used to shit football beforehand, but we, we played some good football under Sam Allardyce and we were effective and we got the results. And um, I, I, We were talking about this a couple of my pals uh, a few weeks ago that I wonder if we'd be in the same position we are now if Sam Allardyce stuck around, and that's what he does. He um, he, he, sort of, he does jobs at mediocre clubs, doesn't he, which I suppose we were at the time. In terms of Roy King. Most Sunderland fans, I think, they would have him back in a heartbeat because mm. he, again, in recent times, he was one of the most effective managers we had. We were struggling in the uh, the championship and he came in, turned things around pretty quickly, got us promoted. And it was just, I think, unfortunately, hindsight again, uh, the, the owner, Ellis Short, I think him and Roy Keane didn't really get on. There was a clash there. And like I say, in hindsight, it was probably Roy Keane justified in his views that Ellis Short wasn't running the club properly. Mm. Um, and, well, the rest is history, I suppose. His second biography that he, uh, that he published, I've read both of them. The second one, about a third of that is, is around his time at Sunderland. He's got a big love uh, for the club. He regrets leaving when he did. And in his words, which I think most of the fans sort of uh, hang on, there was unfinished business there. So for me, either of those, I think, would do a job. I know you're saying you wouldn't want Big Sam there, but I, I, I think either of those two would do a job at most clubs. It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see what Sam Allardyce does at West Brom. He didn't start with his usual win. That's, uh, that's what he normally does, doesn't it? When he takes over at a new club. I think I think you got a draw against Watford in his first game at Palace. Um but yeah, it's interesting the Roy Keane bit because I, I always remember because I watched the Premier League years quite a lot and uh, Michael Chopra scoring against Tottenham in the uh, first yeah, game of the yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that replays in my head quite a lot whenever I think of yeah. Roy Keane on, on the sideline at Sunderland. But this this talk about Sunderland for a little bit then, because I, I know you haven't been following it too closely, but it'd be interesting to get your, your view on t- certainly the ownership situation because that's 
seems to be forever changing. I can't, I, I can't keep up, that's for sure. But looking at some at the moment, 11th place in the league, only four points off the playoffs. And what was quite interesting looking at it, I've seen that Sunderland have got the league's lowest defeats all season, only three defeats all season. But you've conceded, I mean, sorry, you've conceded least goals as well, but you've drawn far too many goal games. You've drawn, I think, about seven games and, and, and won seven. So yeah. I, I, how, how do you sort of put or how do you value Sunderland's efforts at the moment? Well, I think I've never wanted to wish a manager lose his job um, where it's not justified, but I think we made the right decision in getting rid of um, Parkinson when we did. He just had such a negative style of football. And given, I, I don't want to be patronising any other club in the league, but the club that Sunderland promote themselves to be such a big club and the, the budget that our owners talked about before, we shouldn't be setting up so negatively against um, other League One clubs. We should go out and try to win games. Again, though, Parkinson, that was his style of play. He was more interested in not losing than, than going out and winning, which we, we see a lot of managers taking, taking that approach. I think the team isn't strong enough. I still don't think it's strong enough. We've been let down by poor silence. Um, and you, you've probably both seen a couple of episodes, at least, of the... Uh, the, the Netflix series and oh, yes. that that <laughs> the Will Grigg episode that just typifies our uh, sort of ineptness, if you like, in the um, in the transfer market with the the sort of the the, the purchase of Will Grigg. Was it three million in the end? He was he was up to, and he just yeah. just hasn't hasn't been effective. And where we are now, we've got this new manager in, and I don't want to get too carried away, but Lee Johnson, he's young. I think he's only 39 year old, so that's young compared to me. He, uh, he's come in, he's, he, he says the right things, he seems positive, and he, he's, he seems to be a bit more optimistic in terms of how he sets set the teams the, the teams out. He's only had a couple of games, but results are been okay. Uh, we beat the uh, at the time they were top of the top of the table. Lincoln, um, we beat them under his proper first home league game. Uh, so it, it's looking positive, but I don't want to get carried away because there's been too many false dawns with Sunderland. Mm-hmm. We, you're right. We've got a couple of games in hand of those top uh, top teams, and we're not too far off. But we've got to start scoring goals, basically. And anyone will say that if, if you're not scoring goals, then you're not going to. You're not going to get the results that you want as a team, and, and, and I, that's that's my concern for us. Still, I don't see where the goals are coming from. I guess that's the worry, isn't it? Also, going into a, a January window where prices are always inflated, anyway, um, given the current situation for, for for League One, League Two, and Championship football, all clubs, I guess, really, but not all clubs have, have the the pleasure of the Premier League money pouring in. So clubs like Sunderland are going to be affected as well through the, the lack of fans. Is that? Where, where do you go and find a goal scorer in January where everyone's hiking up the prices and you haven't got the money to pay for it? Well, the prices have been inflated for us, especially when you've got a knobhead like Stuart Donald paying three million quid for um, <laughs> Will Green. And even, his, even his own team's telling them not to spend, not to go above the XYZ amount. And he's like, oh, no, no. And he just totally defies all of the advice he was giving them when it did it and proved wrong. But yeah, I mean... Prices are inflated in any league, and you, it sort of uh, balances out where you where you are, I suppose, in, in, in whichever league. But I, I, we haven't got the money to spend at the moment, and unless a new owner does come in relatively quickly, really quickly, that's uh, that's that's not going to change. 
So, so what's the latest on that then, Lee? Because it, 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 there's been a few sort of murmurings or things happening in the background in terms of the ownership and money coming in. Where, where are we? I haven't got a clue. The, the, the latest I heard <laughs> this, uh, this afternoon, our, our potential new owner, William Story, this is how tragic it is. He's, uh, the, the last update was he's offered uh, four of the, the Roper Report podcasters, who's like the, uh, the big summon podcast. He's offered four of them out in a celebrity boxing match. And I, I think this guy, William Story, he's a strange one. I, I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He's, he's, he's owns or he's got a stake in Formula One, um, one of the Formula One teams. I don't really follow it, so I don't understand too much about that. But he's been visiting the Northeast, taking pictures of himself, and he's all over social media saying he's buying the club and it's a, uh, a genuine offer and it's close, but... Most of the fans just don't believe him. Um, really, really, I, I, I think it's just publicity. But then I think, you know, how can it's a bit mental, isn't it, for somebody to do that? Well, um, mm, you, say, you say that, Lee, but then again, you look at the Charlton takeover, and it's one that obviously, being a local uh, club, one that I followed quite closely. That's what the, the Danish bloke there did. I think Thomas Sangard, Sangard, I think it might be. Anyway, he, he did a lot of that interacting on social media to try and win over the fans because he knew that was half the battle in the ownership. Mm-hmm. So perhaps there's a little bit of that going on, do you think? Maybe. Um, look, I, I hope we're, most of us are wrong. And he is genuine. He's, he's got the money and he does something uh, that we all want to happen with the club. Just invest, but leave it to the people who know what they're investing in to do the investing type of thing. As long as it's ethical. As long as it's ethical, Luke. And you know me. I've always been 100% behind that ethos, definitely. I'm glad um, to hear that. I'm reassured. <laughs> I might have got a nudge to say that, but that's fine. <laughs> but who knows? Honestly, I haven't got a clue in terms of the, uh, the, the ownership position. I think whatever happens, Stuart Donald, Charlie Medfin, um, Sartori, they're going to be around and... They're going to be around because I think they took a gamble when they first bought the club, yeah. invested their millions, thinking it was going to bounce straight back up and they'd flip it and make a fortune. And they've had this figure in mind, I think, since day one that they wanted to make from the club. And then it's just not panned out. And to be honest, if we'd have went up and they delivered what they wanted to deliver and then sold us on, um, I wouldn't have minded them making a profit. Yeah, mm. some people might say that's not ethical or it's not justified, but... If, if it was making a profit on the back of success, fair play. But I just they just haven't, again, they've proven they haven't got a clue, really, um, and not delivered what they promised. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's an unpredictable league and, and who knows what's going to happen in January as well. But I think we spoke near the t- closer, to, closer to the start of the season and you said, you know, that promotion, automatic or, or title has got to be the, 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 the sort of the main aim now. Is it stretching now to playoffs as well or...? Is it by any means you don't care? Just get us up. I would take playoffs. If somebody said now, um, if, if somebody said you guarantee playoffs or you can take a gamble of, uh, of finishing the top two, I would, I, would, I would guarantee the playoffs because you just don't know. It's too soon for, for Lee Johnson. And, and even if he is a good manager, I think the structure behind the club is, yeah. is a bit fragile still. The academy has been decimated. We've, um, we were once known for having a brilliant academy investing yep. in youth and the talent that's coming through, that's just being ripped away. So I, I think promotion is the priority now and investment in the first team, but we've got a massive rebuilding job to do. And if you look at teams in the championship just tonight, um, I mean, I didn't want to mention Brentford from the championship beating Newcastle in the cup, but 
seeing as the conversation's going that way. The, um, <laughs> you've got the likes of Brentford, who, uh, if, you, if you look at them and their style of play and how, they, how good they are, that, that standard, and compare it to, to Sunderland and other League One teams, there's a big gap between the Championship and League One, so we've still got a lot of work to do. We, even if we did get promoted, which is not no way guaranteed, there's a huge um, amount of work to do in the Championship. It'll be interesting to certainly see what sort of uh, job that, that Lee Johnson does. I mean, I remember his dad, Gary, at um, Bristol City, and I think he followed in his footsteps at Bristol City as well, didn't he? I think he, he did, yeah, managed yeah. there as well. Was he yeah. at Forest as well, or did I imagine, imagine that? Um, I can't remember. I know he was at Bristol. I know, yeah, yeah. I, I never liked Gary Johnson because um, obviously he beat us in the playoffs. So uh, I always held a, a big disdain for, for his dad um, for that. But um, but Lee Johnson, obviously, it's always nice to see a young manager coming through. And I think he started his managerial career quite early because he was his football career ended by injury. I think it was a knee injury or or, or something like that. So I think he's actually started coaching in his late twenty, early thirties. So now you say he's thirty nine and he's he's a, a manager of a club like Sunderland. That's that's a hell of a feat, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. And you, you you hope that he's he's going to be one of these young ones that hit the ground running. He he was doing an interview. I was reading whether it's true or not. I don't know, but I read it, so it might be that uh, apparently his mentor has been Kenny Dalgleish and he influenced the uh, decision in him coming to Sunderland. And again, a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But along the lines of it's a sleeping giant and if you did well there, you, you'll have a statue uh, built. And God, if he gets us up the championship and then the Premier Premier League, who knows, he will have a statue sitting right alongside Bob Stoke because uh, it's going to take some huge efforts to get us out of this league and then... Uh, an even bigger effort to get us into uh, the top flight, which is where all the Sunderland fans want to be. Yeah, well, back-to-back promotions is a dream, mate. And it's hope that uh, Christmas comes early and, uh, well, Christmas comes late, let's say, in, in April and May, and you can, you can get the first of those. Well, are you want it tasking? Are you potting on? Oh, look at this, it's great. But it's almost as good as uh, when he does his, his Danish <laughs> ones and he's in the pub and he's getting distracted. He's used to this now. So the, the, the audience can't see this. He, he's walking to, to his own personal bar, getting a drink, and he's done that like a... True expert. So, Luke, what's what's uh, what's it been like at Palace the last couple of games? Results went your way or, or not? Well, the last the last three games, and you look at it at a whole, mate, have been been quite good. I think that you know we we drew quite successfully against Tottenham, and then had another decent performance against West Ham that was that was thwarted really by a, a ridiculous setting off for Christian Benteke for two yellow cards. I mean, you boys might have seen this. How how you expect a man to jump with his hands by his side is just is, is beyond me. And that that properly just over for, for the, um, the the Tottenham game because you would have fought an informed Christian Benteke and Tekes has looked brilliant the last few games. He, he's scored and he's, he's looked hungry and he's linking up really well. He's looking like the Tekes of old. So for him to be going and playing a, a Liverpool team, he could have made a difference. But as it were, I don't think 25 Christian Benteke is all lined up in the goal line would have stopped uh, anything other than the result that we saw on Saturday, which is, of course, yeah, we did a pod about, about it as well, a 7-0 defeat at home to Liverpool. First half of that game, I thought we were actually really good, really competitive. I thought, how the, how, how the hell are we 3-0 down? But the second half was just a complete capitulation and um, quite frankly embarrassing to come out of that game, obviously losing by seven goals. I remember texting you, Luke, I think after, was it Ayu missed that sort of cut back? He should have to, squared it to, to Will, oh, shouldn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I remember texting, apologies, I'll, I'll take the blame for this if I, if I jinxed that result. But I texted at the time and said, look, you're, you're unlucky not to be level here. thought you were playing well, playing positively. And, 
Uh, but I think when Liverpool were up the gears like that, I don't think anybody can live with them. I don't think there's there's any shame in that. To be fair, there's. Uh, yeah, I mean, when, when, when they hit form, they're, they're, they're great to watch, mate, aren't they? They're, Absolutely. They're, they're a great team. But it's, it's strange as well because you've not got the fans. You didn't have the fans in the stadium, did you? On, on... We, did, we did for the Tottenham game. And, and some people would argue that, that we got the equaliser um, through the fact of the fa- fans being there. And 2000 Palace fan made a hell of a noise as well yeah. in Centre Park. I mean, I know it's the, the biggest thing. is loud anyway, wasn't it? It's, it's really oh, yeah. It, it was brilliant. And to, to the point when uh, Jeffrey Slut sort of kicked the goal in um, sort of a bit of a scrambled goal and with 10 minutes to go he ran towards that, that corner of, uh, of the homes now I got a bit of a lump in my throat I got a bit of emotion oh, really? you know what I, I, I just love that because you saw the fans yeah. going towards the players the players going towards the fans you go, this is what is about Plus, and this, yeah, this is what I've missed this is what I haven't seen since John Nayu netted against Watford on the 7th of March this year yes I, I, I do remember that very well I, I, yeah and, and obviously going into the situation that we have and, and not having fans there, I don't think that I don't think uh, three Cedars Parks would have would have made any difference in terms of Liverpool. They, they were ridiculous, weren't they? They were on mm. fire. The, the thing now is for me is that how do you react to that sort of um, defeat? I mean, we, we looked at was it Southampton last season getting hit by nine and how they came back and they've done really well so far. I think they're sitting third in the league or something at the moment, aren't they? They've been in one hell of a run. We just got to hope that um, we can turn it around and, and put in a good performance on Boxing Day against Villa at Villa, which uh, Palace do enjoy going up there and, and putting on a show. And it will be the first uh, game, Premier League game ever to be shown live on the BBC at three o'clock on Boxing Day as well. So uh, uh, a treat yeah. for all the family, mate. Yeah, Nice one. I'll look forward to that. And it'll be a good game, I reckon. Villa v uh, Palace. Give that a watch. Yeah, well, two, two, two evenly matched teams at the moment in terms of the results that we've had so far. I guess... You could even say, in the sense that both teams have got like a, a star man in Grealish in, in Villa and, mm. and Zahar in um, for Palace. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of um, dynamic works out. It'll certainly be uh, hopefully an entertaining game, and we can enthrall the uh, the members of the British public uh, just after the Queen's speech. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, because I think you're looking to end it just just before we do, because we don't get a, uh, get on these pods uh, very often. Should we all just go around and do a quick prediction as to where each of our teams will finish in the, in the league? We'll, I'll, I'll start. Now, I'm going to say, uh, for Sunderland, a very optimistic fifth spot. And going up by the playoffs? or um, Yes. Excellent. Who, who are you getting the semis? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> David, go on. Is it, is it top spot or, or are you going to concede to Rangers? Do you know, uh, in, in 1988, Celtic won the league and cup double in their centenary season and they became the first team ever to win a double in their centenary year at the time Billy McNeil the manager and the captain led us to be the first British and the first non-Latin team to win the European Cup said there's a bit of magic about this football club and I think there is a bit of magic about this football club and there's a bit of magic on Sunday uh, and in line with that, perhaps we'll get a wee Christmas miracle and a wee turn around the new year. You're not going to get me on here saying that we're not going to finish first. So <laughs> going to overturn that 16-point deficit. It's going to be the Christmas miracle, miracle on 34th Street. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll turn that around. And uh, that, that, might be, uh, that might be more than hope than anything else. 
but I'm not seeing anything different. <laughs> no, fair enough, David. I, I completely understand that, and I love that as well. Football and romance go hand in hand, so it's only right. Absolutely. You should, you, should, you should think that way. Uh, for me, oof, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy with a, a, a relatively comfortable um, mid-table finish, so give me anything between ninth and sort of 14th, and I'll, I'm very happy. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to go with 11th for Palace. And 11th. then uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the summer in terms of a new manager or, or, or if Royick stays. So um, it, it, it's almost like we're in that middle period now where it's like a never zone. It's like yeah. you either push push on for the next Europa League spot and, and, and go for that and do like a, a chart with Kerbishley or you, you sort of, I don't know, who knows, mate? But yeah, 11th for me. Well, fifth, first, and 11th. I might put an accumulator on that, but you get good odds. <laughs> well, mate, there's, 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 there's three of your lottery numbers anyway for, um, yeah. for Saturday. <laughs> but, gentlemen, um, as always, thank you very much for your time. Always appreciate having you guys on the pod. Should do it more often, actually. And I think that's maybe that's uh, one of the New Year's resolutions for me is to get us to give a bit more often so we can, we can do this podcast because uh, our fans and listeners always seem to enjoy them. Talking to fans and listeners, everyone out there, have a very Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you're staying safe no matter where you are. And as always, up the palace. Cheers, Luke. Well done, Cheers, boys. Dave. Merry Christmas, well, boys. The Six Pointer Podcast. <laughs>